0: And it doesn't matter what industry you gather experience and it really is what are you learning at every step and how do you manage to build really trusted networks at the end of the day we are in a completely digital society we're all on these different platforms we have public personas digital personas you don't know who is who anymore um, and understanding how to create trust in a relationship is going to become increasingly important
1: it's the andrew here and this is the pioneer show the show where we talk with innovators makers entrepreneurs basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives if this is your first time here thank you for downloading and listening and i appreciate you taking the time to hear this episode subscribe and enjoy listening to the pioneers of today and if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. This is episode 26, and I'm your host, Andre Galbkirk. You can find me at It's Deandre on Twitter as well as the show at Pyrenees Show on Instagram. Before we start this conversation with our guest, I really would like to thank Piabo PR for even arranging it. Piabo PR is a PR company that works with a lot of startups here in Berlin, and they were the media partners at the We Are Developers World Congress 2019, an event that I was part of and I had a chance to interview a couple of people. This conversation will be uploaded in the upcoming weeks. Now, with that in mind, I would like to introduce you to Catherine Bischoff, and she is the Chief Relationship Officer at Factory Berlin. I know that in these past two episodes, I'm introducing people with either with industries or job titles, Worry not, this is all easily explained. Catherine, as the CRO of Factory Berlin, is working daily on making sure that Factory Berlin has a great environment for startups, corporate students, and freelancers alike to flourish not only with their physical, but also digital presence. Factory Berlin will be explained during the interview, but it's a community that has the last time i heard over 3000 people connected using their campuses in berlin or using their slack channel. Catherine used to work in academia but also as a relationship manager in other businesses and this truly intrigued me as someone who prides himself as trying to build a good network and good relationships i really really wanted to learn more without waiting a lot more time let's jump into the conversation. And with us we have
0: Catherine welcome to the show how are you? Thanks i'm great. little hot
1: (laughs) yeah today in berlin it's something that is very pleasant to say that it's hot outside it's not very common right that's true that's true so for people who don't know who you are care to give us a presentation sure my name is Catherine
0: bischoff and i'm the chief relationship officer at factory berlin
1: okay let's just start off with Factory Berlin. For people who don't know what it is, care to give us like a two-second pitch again?
0: Sure. Uh, Factory is a community. It's a community of innovators, which means that uh, we curate applications from people who are interested in coming and building their network. Mm-hmm. They could be uh, technologists, they could be creators, creatives, uh, founders looking for talent, looking for investors. They may be fixed startup teams already, corporates, and or even accelerators uh, programs that want to be part of the factory community. We have 3000 of those from 70 mm-hmm. different nationalities. And so we have two locations here, uh, digital platform, and then the manifestation of the network is essentially the physical space and all the events that we put on there.
1: I, I used to be a member of factory. And one of the things that really triggered my attention was the, the 3000 member thing, because I saw that the, the spaces they're they're incredible. But I saw I thought 3000 people don't fit here. Mm-hmm. But you focus a lot on community. And when I heard of it first was co-working space. Sure. And one thing that I always remember is that there was a di- distinction of co-working, but also the community is the main target. So what's the main difference on, the, on, for factory? What's the main difference of just the co-working space with building a community per se? So I think,
0: um, Co-working, when you hear about uh, what we do, people generally gravitate to concepts that they understand and that mm-hmm. are prevalent in the market. And uh, when you, you know, have a, a beautiful space where you have freelancers and, and entrepreneurs and, uh, and talents gathering, you assume it's a co-working space. And indeed, we did start uh, that way, but we realized quite um, quickly that the value is not in the, the actual desk space or renting out a, a physical space to someone. It's uh, the value that you bring in creating a network for people. So mm-hmm. uh, we pivoted uh, a few years ago and said co-working is dead because what really is valuable is community. So that's why we focus on um, curating. Who gets Mm -hmm. in? So you have to apply uh, to be part of the factory, which certainly differentiates us from a co-working space where you just apply to get a space, and if Mm -hmm. they have space, they'll sell you space. Um, And when you apply, you have to also share what it is that you're willing to give into the community. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about uh, being there, occupying the space, or attending events. It's what are you going to share? Because we really, really believe in peer-to-peer communication, peer-to-peer networking, and that uh, knowledge sharing is the only way that we're going to advance as a society. So that's really uh, what we focus on. And Mm -hmm. so there is that interviewing process. And so if you say you're interested in becoming a member, we want to understand what it is that you're bringing to the table. What are your intentions of being part of the factory? Have you been referred to us? Do you understand what the concept is? Um, And if you write, well, I'm actually just looking for an affordable table. (laughs) table, then we'll send you to another place, let's just say.
1: Before we go a lot more deeper, I would like to take a step back in your own career, something that I did my own little research as everybody in the show knows, you mentioned networking. And one of the things that I was seeing as your job titles, at least had had a lot of, almost like a networking as a business kind of situation. I remember event manager at FIBA basketball. I love basketball. Everybody knows that I love basketball, but event manager in there, I assume from what I've known in event management and my whole life as well, is that you have to have a lot of connections. You have to know who to talk with to get things done. Then you move on to Corbis, if I'm not mistaken. And once again, relationship isn't the job title. So for people who like me go more into a facilitator role, like to make connections, like to connect people, how do you get paid to do this?
0: Well, um, I think first of all, you have to like being a communicator and being a networker. Uh, in every role that I've had, indeed, communication and stakeholder relationships, uh, stakeholder relations have been a key component to, to those roles. Um, and that's, you know, regardless if it's more from a marketing comms angle or from an event management or sponsor acquisition angle or for, um, uh, Com- contributor or developer relations uh, standpoint. I think that um, especially as technology advances and a lot of the jobs out there are going to be automated, eventually even disappear, uh, having strong soft skills, having mm-hmm. a s- sense of empathy, a good sense of communication, understanding how to build a rapport with people mm-hmm. is going to become increasingly important. And that's something I've built on Uh, more and more in my career and then understanding kind of what the, this, the whole, uh, is getting it, taking a more holistic approach and understanding how pieces of the puzzle come together to build networks. And so, um, I think this particular role I find, incredibly exciting just because it amalgamates all the experience I've gathered and it doesn't matter what industry you gather experience. Mm-hmm. And it really is, what are you learning at every step and how do you manage to build really trusted networks? At the end of the day, we are in a completely digital society. Mm-hmm. We're all on these different platforms. We have public personas, digital personas. You don't know who is who anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Understanding how to create trust in a relationship is going to become increasingly important. And that's what also attracted me to the factory because it was all about this community of people that buy into a certain concept. Mm-hmm. They believe in it. And because it's curated, there's this level of trust. It's all about referrals. 70% mm-hmm. of our our community comes through referrals. That's That means something. It's not like signing up. For any old social platform or newsletter, right? Um, and so I think that, uh, for me, my career has, um, really taken an incredible, um, an incredible path because I've been able to do this and also in different geographies, cultural settings and languages. And that's another thing. I mean, I was lucky to have grown up um, in a household where we spoke three languages at home um, and so I was always, you know, had had a European background with my parents being German and French and then I grew up in, in English-speaking Canada and then Canada being Canada, it's multicultural so you're always exposed to to different and things. And also bilingual
1: in some places so you and also bilingual, have that exactly.
0: And all these things are really enriching. It mm-hmm. makes you think differently. You don't, uh, you know, you don't always take things for granted and you have to look at different opportunities and different challenges with different lenses mm-hmm. because you can't just look at it th- through the eyes of a, you know, white teenager girl growing up in suburban Canada. Maybe you have to like take into account the other uh, thoughts and, mm-hmm. and, and and cultural backgrounds that are around you. So I think that, you know, if, if it's this type of role or if networking or stakeholder relations is something that uh, you're interested in, you really have to have an open mind and Mm -hmm. you have to take, take on different perspectives and understand different perspectives. And then again, build trust with, with, with counterparts.
1: Yeah. Trust is the, is the thing that I found find is the most important part in this situation, at least because like you said, you have public persona, you have the digital persona and most of us or people that I know that try to have some kind of stakeholder relationship or community, internal community management for, for the outside, let's call it. Is that they just try to build a LinkedIn network probably they just add, I don't care about them. Mm. And one of the things that I, in my career, one of the things that I always try to do is I like, making connections. I like to make connections. You just say, be friends, please. This is, you are perfect for each other, no matter what you do in it. And I think that the trust building is very important because it's not only trust in other people but at the same time, creating trust for yourself. If you're making a good connection, people can trust your own voice. So this is also something that I wanted to, to hear you say, cause I think that it's very important for people who like to make these kinds of things let's say working on relationships eventually going on if a company has that an ambassador ambassador role or community management or community building or even sales positions it's very important to make connections but at the same time work on making those connections meaningful just not making just not caring about the 3,000 connections on LinkedIn and not knowing who it is or just knowing by the title I think that's very important and I'm very glad that you said that because I think that nowadays people are Care, are caring much more about their vanity man- metrics and not caring about the depth of their conversations depth of knowledge knowing you now mm-hmm. it's more important in having this conversation and more important than just having you on linkedin or having scraped uh bump shoulders on factory i think that's very important to have a meaningful conversation in knowing who you're talking about because this way if i ever meet anyone or you ever meet anyone that might be interested if we make a connection, we have a real connection, yeah. or at least a real understanding of at least the minimum part that you know who I am, and I know who you are. And I think yeah. that's very important to have.
0: Yeah. And if you refer someone to me or to the factory Berlin or uh, you know into into my network, I'm going to automatically have a different perspective on that person because I've already you know I've, I've been engaged with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've you know I've I've had a conversation. We've we've you know met in person, and that changes the dynamic.
1: Yeah I mean I think that not only... I I would say not you don't have to at least in my personal view you don't have to specifically know them personally but for example at tech when I used to work at techstars they had like this motto was give first mm-hmm. and when I know somebody who has this kind of motto so if somebody sends me a message and says, how can i help it's already a, a, a big takeaway that this person at least has a good heart yeah they might have some ulterior motives but i'll at least very naively say this person has a good heart. And once again, there's a connection, might not even be personally. I met a guy here today at this event at we are developer at we are developer conference. And that was the first time that I actually saw him face-to-face, but I've been t- in touch with him for a couple of months already through a Discord server. I met him through an online course that I'm taking. And he's living here in Berlin, I live in Berlin, but it's the first time that we actually met face to face. But because of the conversations that we had and the, the, the things that he's building, I already have an idea and I've already made connections with him because I trust that nobody would do this unless they had a genuine care for what they're doing, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And we also believe in give first.
1: <laughs> That's good, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, the give first mentality, I think, is the, the thing that we all need to do. One thing that I, then you worked in your career and we'll get back to factory, as you worked at the University of Waterloo, right? Yeah. I love talking about education. Mm -hmm. I think that education is for me and I'm sorry for anybody who might be worried about healthcare or anything, but I think education is the most pressing matter that we need to tackle yesterday, a month ago, a year ago. Cause I think that, like you said, eventually we will lose jobs because of automation, but not only that soft skills. Nowadays I see people and even myself as a millennial, let's call it, I see people having dinner just looking at the phone, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I see people who feel entitled about it, if anything. And I think that if we're better educated, not only in the soft skills, but also on the hard skills, it's very important to tackle that. So I would like to know what was your role in the university of Waterloo and How can we learn more about that? Because I think that we really need to focus on that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd love to brag about the University of Waterloo because I think it's one of the best uh, schools in the world, bar none, actually. Um, My role was uh, strategic partnerships and university relations for the Conrad School of Business and Entrepreneurship, as well as building commercialization programs for researchers uh, and students at the university. So like grants,
1: like uh, research grants and and those things? No,
0: not research grants, Um, I'm going to have to back up and give you a bit of uh, information about the university. So it's got an incredible DNA. It was founded, I think, 62, 63 years ago. Um, And one of the, the, the founding premises is that anything that you invent at the university, you own, regardless if you're a uh, student, regardless if you're a researcher, if you're a professor, postdoc, anything. Um, so that means you have the ability to commercialize your ideas. And so by definition, the university already attracts a certain type of student um, and or mindset and or professor because they recognize if they're entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially minded, they could theoretically commercialize something they come up with and it belongs 100% to them. The university takes no stake in it. One of the most famous innovations that stemmed from the University of Waterloo is the Blackberry. And the Blackberry revolutionized Mm -hmm. the way we live today. It was essentially the inventor of the smartphone, even if it's negligible and non existent. And anyone probably under 30 or 25, even, you know, does not know what Blackberry is. But but it is incredible how it just can completely disrupted um, our type, uh, our standards of communication. Um, And so this is one of the premises of the University of Waterloo. Again, you have your IP that is inventor-owned. The second great thing that they do is that about 80% of the students at the university, almost all faculties, require their students to do what they call cooperative education terms. So they spend one year in their study program, and then they spend, sorry, one semester in the study program, and then one semester out working in the field, Mm -hmm. whether that's at a research institute, whether that's in a company, at a bank, at a nonprofit, regardless. Um, So you do one semester of school, one semester work, one semester of school. And by the time you graduate, you will have amassed a year and a half of practical experience in the field. And -hmm. what that does is it, A, helps you identify what you don't want to do, more, most importantly in life. You say, oh, guys, I had a terrible experience at the Bank of America, or I had a great experience uh, doing a co-op term at the World Wildlife Fund. Um, it helps you build a network. So you're working maybe at Apple as a software engineer and you're already starting to build your network. And the third thing it does is that it helps you, um, pay down your student tuition because you get paid to it. These aren't free internships. And if you're a really good software engineer in you know, your fourth year, you're earning four or five, $6,000 a month and mm-hmm. this is pretty significant but i think that the money is the the least important aspect that you asked about soft skills you have people doing a highly technical education and they're learning the soft skills cuz they're already during their studies mm-hmm. forced into working in in companies or you know not well they are forced essentially and so you're learning <laughs> to work in teams you're learning to how to how to do project management you're learning how to interact in, you know, large, small, medium entities, things that normal students mm-hmm. would only get after they exit their studies. Mm-hmm. So you're just creating this incredible workplace-ready ready. ready Individual And I find that super forward thinking considering that was started in 1960 or something like to have the vision that that's the type of workforce we're going to need in the future, not only having really deep ta- deep tech or deep talent business in, business in business whatever business. field it is, but whilst you're studying already getting into the workplace and understanding how it is that you interact and how, how, how you want to build your career. I think that's pretty incredible. And so models like that, uh, and then there have been copycat models, um, are ones that are going to prevail. I mean, there are other great models too. We have at factory Berlin, a university in house called code university.
1: I, I love the idea.
0: Super incredible. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's Germany's first state recognized, uh, private university dedicated solely to, you know, software engineering coding, uh, product management and interaction design. And the students work by, uh, sorry, learn by working, because it's all project-based. And so they're deciding what type of projects they want to work on, perhaps with corporate partners that help them uh, kind of package that. Uh, and so it's extremely experiential, and that helps you identify and, and learn much better. And it forces you to interact with other people. I mean, who wants to go and, and study uh, on their own in a library anymore, at a sole desk or in, you know, a cafe? Life is becoming very complex and I think again that these soft skills are, are key for us as a society to to remain somewhat sane And so if you can integrate that into uh, into your academic studies and, and take that route you, you definitely should.
1: I mean this is a question that I've asked since you you just mentioned Co University and for example University of Waterloo, you've been in a very academic more established, world of academia, that's kind of redundant academic and academia here, and you also see Code University even though it's credited. Don't you see that there's a disparity in today's education world and mentioning the future of education even that there's a gap, clearly a gap of what you need to know and you are taught in school? Because I think that most people go to not I don't want to see most people, but a lot of people go to university, because they don't know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then they're in some place for, for example, the US, I don't know how that is in the, in Canada, for example, but I know that in the US, they are paying huge sums of money for an experiment. And I think that things like code university, or uh, in the US, you also have lambda school here in the, the event, you have something called codeloo, code cool, rather, that also is doing the thing doing the same thing that it's aligning the incentives of the university and the college. So you are incentivized to learn and the university is incentivized to give you the best preparation for the market. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that there's a lot of abstract topics that people are learning in school that 60 years ago, a lot of them might, might might've needed it, but in today's such technical and such in grave danger of fully being automized world, you need to have job ready school. So coming from a university world, and being at factory and seeing these things, how do you see the future of education, future, you just said saying, not being only in the in a in a library alone, you also have online education that I think that's also revolutionizing the world. So how do you see the future of education mm-hmm. moving forward?
0: Well, actually, there's a great podcast about this um, on uh, on Free Economics radio, because uh, and I didn't realize I mean, I knew but I didn't realize what big business the American university or college system is like Mm -hmm. it is obscene and when you have people graduating you know with 90 100 200 thousand dollars in debt it's just that is that is wrong I mean it's astonishing and if even worse if it's For an experiment because you don't know what you want to do uh that is a huge burden uh, on you and on society
1: and it's something that you cannot be relieved of that the the student debt in the us you cannot be relieved even with bankruptcy no No. it gets passed on to the the that's right
0: that's right it's completely it's completely shocking and so i think there is going to be a huge uh, shift needed in in the US specifically but there are all kinds of really incredible uh new concepts out there. I mean there's 42 uh right. which is, you know, a peer to peer uh study program uh for for coding specifically. Uh Code University I mentioned and in every country these types of uh these types of uh educational programs are sprouting up. And And then, look at the other side of the market, look at the employers. A lot of them aren't asking for grades anymore. I mean, Google, I think, announced last year that they don't require. And Facebook as well. And Facebook as well. Exactly, don't require a college degree. It's based on your, you know, your, your, your skills, uh, your soft skills perhaps, uh, your interviewing prowess um and and your ambition and so these are things again uh that are completely disrupting traditional structures like like the academic system and uh and I think we need to take a long hard look at it I think that Germany needs to up its game because um when I came here from Canada I was astonished to see my daughter's you know uh, elementary school felt like it was 1970s Canada, in terms of fit out of the actual school, in terms of content, in terms of the type of um, the type of learning they do, how the, the students are, are encouraged, graded, and or berated, and the fact that, you know, digital skill building isn't on the agenda at all. <sighs>
1: yeah, this is a conversation that I have a lot with my girlfriend when we're talking about the education, even in Portugal. And I don't know how it is in Germany or even in Canada, but we were mentioning that a lot of the topics that we were learning 10 years ago, when I was still in school. I, I, I think that unless you want to go on that route, it's interesting to know, but even knowing the rivers by heart, I think it no longer makes sense when you have a smartphone that can just Google it up and done. And for example, no one knows, at least in Portugal, you leave school and you have no idea how to pay taxes. You have no idea how to do a Google query search, a, a good query search. You have no idea how to do a lot of things. You're not know a copy, but everybody knows how to do that. And you were mentioning this and it just struck me that there's a lack of digital literacy in today's society. You have online literacy because people know how to get around but digital literacy, I think there's a lot of lack of it. So how do you think that is it, is it sp- sprouting up more boot camps and universities like Lambda school or a Cody diversity, or do you think that should be like a reform, a complete reform of this? Okay. Education right now is broken in Europe, in Asia. I don't know in Asia because I don't know, but in the U S maybe in Canada. Okay. It's broken. Let's just from this point forward, let's just do it from the beginning. Because the way that it's done, people who are teachers for 30 years, who have no idea how the market is right now, or just have like, once again, abstract knowledge of the things. So what do you think it should be done?
0: Well, my answer is yes, the system is broken. Um, I think the education system is the one of the most complex along with the tax system and the healthcare system to tackle. Um, and as great as it would be to start from scratch, I think that is a pipe dream. Um, I, I think that we need to, uh, governments need to think in a much more agile manner and be able to implement things uh, much more quickly um and i i i don't have the solution of, of how that's going to happen but there is no doubt that countries that do not at least create um uh, programming and content that are also digitally based i'm not saying you have to stop learning a second and third language i'm saying coding can be one of those languages mm-hmm. And that makes it less daunting if you call it a, a language versus
1: um, Pro computer a, programming, computer science, engineering.
0: Exactly. And then you can decide because not everyone wants to be a coder, um, whether that is something you want to pursue, but it should, should become an option in school and not just a side extracurricular boot camp on the side, because then it doesn't, it doesn't uh, enter into our consciousness that it's important for our society and part of our educational journey.
1: I agree. I agree. And one of the things that you, you mentioned earlier is the the, the the fact that people need to know how to work together as well. And it's something that I saw a lot in, in Factory and something that I can share with you that when I was at Factory, I was working on this podcast and I always said, hey, if anyone needs help with the, with the podcast, I've actually helped two or three people buying gear, trying to host their own podcast. So. I think that also being able to be more agile, not even on a governmental side, but on a personal side, it's also very important. I saw, I heard the podcast yesterday with Naval Ravikant from Angelist mm-hmm. and Joe Rogan, and he was saying, Naval was saying that the future of work will be much more probably, much more agile, more on a personal level. It's almost a fully gig economy to everyone. And it's something that I also saw, and I would like to get your input on factories availability and openness to promote this kind of gig I won't say even economy because a lot of people just did it for free, but on a co-working, and when I say co-working, not on the, as a space, but people working together, mm. co-learning, co-understanding, co-living. Yeah, co- yeah that's what we,
0: we talk about it as a co-learning concept, co-learning and co-creation. I mean, that's really where we want to get to. Um, we really encourage our our members to to share their knowledge and because we believe that peer to peer learning is the best learning um and we don't want to uh, orchestrate and and and, and manipulate everything. So we see success uh, happen at factory when we create an environment, uh, both a tech environment and a physical environment that incentivizes that. Mm-hmm. So the way that we design our spaces makes you constantly interact with people. You and, have but, to. Yeah, you have to. Them. You have to when you have to go to the, you know, the, the the water cooler. You have to when you go to the washrooms because every you're always constantly moving in the buildings. We have so many events. Events are a key component to matching uh, and getting 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 people out that have similar interests. Um, That's one thing. The other thing is when you become a member of Factory Berlin, there is kind of this inherent... um, uh, expectation that you are going to give back and share um, and so you you just give the example that you did that uh, we have lots of members that uh, sign up to to circles that are certain interest groups that we have in the community so we have like a developer circle a mobility a an IOD, and IOD, a, a, a blockchain in women in tech exactly we have about i think seven circles right now These are interest groups out of the community. They're formed organically, so they're formed on the Slack channel. And when we see that there's a critical mass of people that rally around a certain theme, We elevate it, we identify what we call captains of those circles, those are people that are particularly strong champions, and give them the resources, free space, free drinks, food, whatever it is they need so that they can meet up on a regular basis and share. Because we see that's where the success is coming from, that's where uh, ideas are sprouting, that's where ideas are then turned into projects, that's where sometimes they even turn turn into teams, uh, and ideally uh, even companies. So, uh, so we believe that, that having this, you know, peer to peer networking opportunity, uh, to, to learn, to, to work and learn alongside each other is key. So that's why we have, you know, again, if you see the, the, the user experience, you become a member, you go to Slack, a digital tool that helps you kind of, um, Uh, identify who it is that you want to communicate on a regular basis, and then we bring it back to the physical and that we provide these uh, members with the spaces so that they can meet and interact and then truly create something out of that.
1: I think that's incredible. But a question that I have for you is in terms of scalability. Mm -hmm. Do you see factory as something that can be grown Obviously, I don't think that factory wants to grow like a WeWork and sprout like mushrooms everywhere. But do you think that factory will ever grow into being a more internationally physical community? Because I know there's a, a big, big international community digitally. But do you think there will be an option or a place for A place will be, but do you think there will be a possibility for factory to also grow organically, internationally, on a physical level? Because I think that's what's missing a lot, And in my opinion, is that if I ever go somewhere, I know that you have a um, partnership with Google for entrepreneurs and all, all those things, but you see factory as a possibility to grow physically to other places and leaving Berlin. Absolutely. Like no,
0: have- we we definitely do. It's on our roadmap. I mean, um, I think we, we put a huge stake in the ground in Berlin and we have two... Incredible, mm-hmm. very large, uh, locations here, you know, with almost 25,000 square meters. I don't think we would, um, do that type of massive investment in another location, but we do have international, even national aspirations because we, A, have the demand. We have, such a demand from abroad, it's astounding because people have not seen this type of concept before because it is so so novel and unique. And so the question is how do you scale that and how do you tap into existing networks that are also trusted, right? Mm -hmm. You have to do it. You have to find the right people on the ground in the right places where you have that critical mass and think you can grow a community relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. So one way for us to do that is because we have the digital tool, we can also assess... Where those clusters of people are coming from? Are we going to see, you know, many more people needing to convene in Kuala Lumpur, or is it going to be in Zurich? Um, and that's based on on that type of assessment. We are going to expand, but I I agree that um, kind of the the. The daunted, it's daunting to scale and we don't want to become a WeWork or even there are others out there that maybe have, you know, 20, 30 locations, large ones, because it's hard to, to keep the, the quality of community mm-hmm. when you have hundreds of thousands of people. People stop engaging. It's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so we believe in an approach where we scale in a, a small, with smaller, so-called clubs, mm-hmm. uh, and then also digitally, Small so that you can tap into here them. And there that That's can, right.
1: It's very interesting. And one of the, the, the questions that I had to, I had to ask you, and you top, mentioned this in the beginning on the corporate level, is that startups and and this is starting to become more and more prevalent these days. Is that corporates want to be more engaged with startups? And I remember having, a, I think it was a Deutsche Bank or Deutsche Bank Deutsche Bank room mm-hmm. in Mitte. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who well don't don't know what MIT is, is, a, is let's call it a borough of Berlin. Mm-hmm. And how does factory and you as a relationship, the, the chief relationship officer in this area, help corporates that might want to be more engaged with the startup world, with innovation? How do you make basically connect these two dots, which in theory, as a goal, startups won't be eventually become corporates, but are so far away in the size and money, but at the same time, corporates want to become startups, want to become agile, want to do stuff and not only be bothered down by just so many processes and bureaucracy. How do you make these two connections work?
0: Well, it's a lot of translation work, to be honest. I mean, um, the corporates that we have, uh, already have expressed uh, you know, their willingness and openness to become part of the factory and, and be open to that type of conversation taking place. That doesn't mean that they automatically work with startups or invest in startups in the community. It always depends on the corporate. Um, some of them come to Factory Berlin because they want to create a new cultural mindset for their employees and, and offer their employees the, the uh, opportunity to, to experience the new world of work and a totally new generation that has different aspirations than working in a corporate. Um, but for the corporates that really want to interact actively with, with startups, it's a lot of handholding at the beginning. We have to help them understand but how sides, to communicate. Right? Absolutely. How to communicate uh, with a startup, the fact that a startup uh, most likely won't have the runway to go through a procurement process with <laughs> Ducks Dux, uh, uh, company um, in Germany. And so uh, what is it that really uh, what is it that the two parties want to get out of it? Um and then it's a lot of managing expectations. We've had some great success stories of corporates working together with startups and then investing in them. Um and then there's been a few fails as well. We have to be quite honest. But it's it's, part, it's, it's part, part of the it's part world, of right? the, the startup world and uh it's part of the corporate world. And corporates need to realize that just because they say they want to work with a startup doesn't mean that's gonna make them more agile. Oh, well, it's always depends on who's making that decision and what team is out there doing what with whom. Um, and so you can't just open up a fancy office in Berlin or anywhere for that matter uh, as a corporate and expect, and expect be, all of a sudden started. to become super agile to understand Scrum and, uh, and 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 be able to attract talent. It's going to take a lot more than that. And I think that, um, you know, certainly uh, in Germany, there's definitely a need to have uh, more of an open minded, open innovation mindset filter through. Halls.
1: I totally agree with you. I mean, this is a conversation that I've had with a with a, a teacher of entrepreneurship here in Germany. He's a, a, an author of a best-selling book. And I also interviewed Alexander Ostenwald, and he says that corporates need to well, Alexander said corporates need to risk much more if they want to become much bigger. And the the, the, the professor Gunther Folten said that the problem a lot in Europe as a well whole is not only Germany, in Portugal, it's this exact same thing. A lot of corporates say they want to be hip. They want to be startups, but the moment they see a presentation, then they might say, okay, this is not professional, I don't, I don't care. I think that there's a problem with a lot of fear of failure. I think that Europe was built with such a lot of bad things, but a lot of, we want to be big, 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 that a risk of failure is daunting to us. Well, for example, we look at the US, which where people say, oh, startups flourish. It's because I feel that a lot of them just don't care about failing. Fail, try again. Yeah. Fail, try again. Indian. And if not,
0: it could be the downfall of our economies in Europe. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot is at risk. We're dreadfully behind. I mean, I'm sounding like a broken record because <laughs> come to this conference or any other, just open the newspapers. We all know that, whether it's in um, in AI and IoT. I mean, the list goes on. Um, but I think we need to have that mentality that is... Um, Much less risk averse, but this is going, like, going back to our topic before, educational system. Look at the way the educational system works here. If you, like, you are constantly being berated for making mistakes and your grades are based on making mistakes, not on the learnings out of those mistakes.
1: You're evaluated by the, the, your memory, basically. Correct. You're not, you're not evaluated by the understanding. I think that besides math, but even math, you can memorize formulas besides math, almost everything that I've ever experienced is the memorization capability Mm -hmm. in university. I remember this I studied by my girlfriend's notes. I got a better note from from her because I was able to memorize her notes better than herself. Mm -hmm. I still have no idea what the class was about. I did the class. I did the test before the test. I said, I have no idea what this class is about. I did the test, still have no idea. Three years later, same thing. And uh, I don't know, I th- this is this is really scary. And one other thing you just mentioned, you mentioned the AI, but you mentioned also this conference, this conference organized by We Are Developers. And I know that Factory has a relationship with We Are Developers. What's the sc- so first of all, can, do you want do you want to explain what We Are Developers is to, to the, the audience back home?
0: Sure. I mean, We Are Developers is a platform for tech talent, for for coders um, and developers that are looking for jobs. And you would say, well, I don't think it's needed. There are so many jobs out there for developers, but. The engagement rate uh, for with, you know, top talent uh, and the job search is quite low. And so what we are developers is looking to achieve is that they um, help the right talents find the right jobs and the right organizations. So they're matching really good jobs and interesting opportunities with the talent uh, very much tailored to the individual's needs. Um, where we see ourselves as complementary is that we have a similar value set in that we identify top talents and we want to bring them together with opportunities. We also believe in diversity and we believe in peer-to-peer networking. And at the end of the day, all these things are hopefully going to... to yeah. bring a better better future and 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 reimagine uh kind of the world in that we live in. Um on top of that, uh our chairman and founder Udo Schlimmer is also invested in We Are Developers. Um as is also Thomas Bacham the founder of Code University. Mm-hmm. So we also have uh, an interest in in their success because we believe in in their business model, and they've proven with this World Congress that has attracted I think over seven and a half thousand people here to Berlin that there's a market out there, and even if you have a great digital platform uh, and and matchmaking tool. That the physical, bringing it into the physical Mm -hmm. and into this interaction and experiential mode is is key.
1: Makes it concrete, I think. Absolutely. I think that the problem with job hunting, not even in the tech world, I'm still not in the tech world, but I I see it as becoming concrete that things are happening. And I just wanted to, to, to take something that you said is that you said that we are developers looks for the right talent for the right company. So is it more company focused or is it more person focus you also mentioned the individual because I think it's it's important where companies or is it twofold I know that you as a recruitment company as a talent company will have to be twofold but is it more focused on the individual it's Finding definitely more
0: for I mean I don't want to speak for we are developers but <laughs> on your on your yeah. own
1: experience with the, the, the conversation definitely and-
0: more focused on the talent side. Definitely. I mean, that, the talent is the key. We see it in our community. We are developers said this last, uh, last night as well. I mean, without talent, we are all lost, regardless if you're, you know, a BMW or if you're Slack or if you're uh, starting, starting your own venture. Mm -hmm. Um, we all need talent and we all need to position ourselves as interesting places to work in great surroundings uh you know with with the right the right teams and the right mindset people aren't automatically going to gravitate to a big brand like they did 20 years ago or 30 years ago and spend you know half of their career even their entire career working at toyota those days are over i mean there may be a few but i i haven't met them in the last 10 years um, and so it's harder and harder for companies to to not only attract, but retain talent. I mean, look at the problem of the valley and the the Bay Area. People like jump for jobs, you know, every six to, to 18 months if they get a, a better uh, ESOP package uh, or another hundred grand. And people have no sense of. Uh, commitment belonging. or belonging to their companies anymore.
1: And I think that's also a bad thing, a very bad thing.
0: Absolutely, it's a bad thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not glorifying. It. I'm saying it's a bad thing. It's, it's terrible, and so it's, it's challenging for, for companies to, to create that environment. But that's what they have to focus on. They mm-hmm. really do, um, and it's also hard for startups to be able to. To acquire talent because they can't afford to pay the big bucks. So sometimes, I mean, arguably they could be at an advantage because they are getting people that will buy in. I mean, they're buying into, uh, to, to building something. The
1: promise of a better product, Hopefully. A better and, and,
0: you know, if you get the right people and they, they believe in what you're doing, they, they want to help. They want to help grow a company and, uh, and that's the best type of employee. Someone that's going to be around for for the long run or to build something at least and not, uh, just for, for the salary
1: and factory here in, in relation to, we are developers basically opens the network saying here are a myriad of great, talented people. You have access to these people. And talk with them to try to understand and at the same time we are developers are saying hey this is what we what you can find if you are this talented this is where you can aspire to become is that it
0: yeah absolutely so we uh target a similar or same audience in the sense that we believe that these people are cured uh, key to our future Mm -hmm. one uh we believe that they're Super ambitious that they're open minded and, and we both have those, uh, those values. Um, and although Factory Berlin is not only focused on technologists, we obviously think that we need to bring them into the membership to, also balance out uh, the other types of members that we have out there. Because even
1: the events, I mean, you're educating, you're giving other perspectives, you're even I remember the yoga circles, Mm -hmm. or not yoga circle, but yoga activities, events on education on GDPR and everything. Mm -hmm. And all these things, I think it's very important. Um, Before we wrap up the interview, I'd like to know about this is what's your opinion is so how do we get more talent? How do we develop Mm -hmm. more talent? Because I noticed that our conversation goes a lot around this. And I think that's something that every conversation that nowadays I have with somebody who's a little bit ideologically interested in the future is how do we get more talent? So how do you think that on a personal level, how can I affect the talent of the future? How can you affect the talent of the future? How can somebody who's listening to this conversation right now on a commute, working out, whatever, how can we affect the talent or how can we make sure that the future is better for everyone and not only for me or you or the well, out. I
0: think you're already playing your part because you're creating content that's valuable and that people are listening to and hopefully learning from. Again, I think that our society is going to be in a stronger place if we accept that we need to co-learn and it's not about top-down learning anymore, but it's, uh, it's kind of a 360 degree learning, uh, journey that we're on and it never stops, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, content on demand learning uh, is going to become more and more prevalent for us, um new education models as i said that aren't uh, don't take forever to finish a degree uh, that maybe you don't even need a good degree um i think that creating um like we have communities and it doesn't have to be you know based on entrepreneurship or technology just having a sense of uh, of belonging to someone is going to be very helpful to create um a more holistic society in future and talent, I mean, talent is mobile nowadays. I think this is one thing we see in Berlin. I lived here from 2006 till 2011. And I cannot say that I thought Berlin was very international at that point. Really? At all. It was very hard to hire talent and find any uh, here at all or even get them to come to Berlin. Who knew? <laughs> exactly. And uh, and now I, I walk down my street and I barely hear any German. I hear a lot of Spanish and French and English and... Um, and Polish. And I think it's great. I think it's incredible what's happened. And I think um, it's such a fascinating time because people are so mobile. And so, yes, we need to create a lot of new talent. Um, we need to create uh, surroundings for talent to feel at home. But we also have to realize that people aren't tied to places anymore. People of your generation and younger I mean, I know people that they're here for three months and then I see them and they're in Bali all of a sudden and then they're doing a work project in Dubai and then all of a sudden they're in Mexico and I can't keep track. And I find that completely fascinating. It's going to be a challenge to traditional employers, Mm -hmm. but it also puts us on the cusp of a whole new type of future of work environment, right? Because, yeah, remote work is definitely a thing. I mean, we talk about it now, but it's if you want good people, they don't necessarily want to sit in an office not even in, in the middle of Berlin.
1: Yes, that definitely, at least during the winter yeah. time, it's oh, coming from Lisbon. This, this winter hurts my bones and it hurts my soul. Okay. Before we finish, I like to have like fire round, a quick fire round. So basically sure. I ask a question as fast as possible to answer. <gasps> okay. Tell food, me food related. <laughs> okay. I can give, I can ask you a food related question, but the first one is tell me one to three books that have impacted your life the most.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, homo Deus. Um, I just got a great one uh, on art uh, and subversive political subversity in art. Um, And the third book, shit, I'm terrible at these fire talks.
1: <laughs>
0: animal Farm, actually, Orson Welles.
1: Or, Orson Welles or George Orwell? Oh, George Orwell. There we go. See? It's too fire a talk, yeah. I'm actually trying, uh, I've actually been reading farm. 1984 and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm so. So scared reading uh, yeah? to that. It's, well, uh, I get very. It's quite on point. Nowadays, even it starts, I think it's starting to get a little bit more. Uh, Is uh, that a,
0: a mandatory reading in schools here? Do you know? It was in Canada.
1: I, I don't think so. Uh, At least in Portugal, it wasn't. Uh, we read more Portuguese and Latin literature okay, yeah. than I think. But it's.
0: Very but yeah, scary. Animal Farm for sure, also.
1: Do you have any life motto or quote that you like to live by?
0: Yes, never get too comfortable.
1: Okay, very nice. Um, if you had a chance to go back in time and talk with your university, just graduate itself, what would you say to her?
0: Oh, God, I would say um, maybe you should have paid more attention <laughs> in some <laughs> classes, but just keep on going. Because I totally jumped off uh, off a bridge when I left university and, and went out on my own and risked everything. So I'm, I was actually pretty happy with that stage.
1: Well, Catherine, I really, really had a great time talking with you. Um, where can people find more about you? Where can people eventually get in touch with you?
0: You can get in touch with me, uh, at factory Berlin, of course, uh, through LinkedIn and, um, or on Twitter, Instagram, all the usual social channels, Catherine
1: Bischoff. It's It's actually
0: cat underscore in underscore Berlin. That's C
1: A T underscore In underscore Berlin. Correct. Both in Instagram and Twitter. That's right. Fantastic. Once again, really, really had a great time great pleasure talking with you. As a send-off point, feel free to send a message to anyone who's listening to this wrap-up of the conversation.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for plugging into this episode. I truly hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Catherine really opened my eyes to a lot of things and I truly love hearing more of her opinion on the state of education in today's society. Any other information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows We can get to more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. If there's any feedback, please feel free to reach out on social media. A big thank you to Catherine for her time. A big thank you to Sophie Muller for PR for arranging this conversation. And to Thibaut Flondlin, a.k.a. DJ Rodia, for the music of The Pyrenees Show. So, till next time, talk to you later. Bye-bye.